SB Nation and Underdog Dynasty present the Underdog Podcast. Welcome to another edition of the Conference USA Underdog Podcast on UnderdogDynasty.com, SB Nation's home for G5 football. Joe Lonergan and Eric Henry, happy to be back talking to you again in the second episode of our Beat Writer series here. And uh, for this one, we got a big one. Uh, Mr. Chris Benini from The Athletic. Really appreciate you coming on the show today, good sir. Yeah, no problem. Thanks for having me. Yeah, of course. Uh, how have you kind of been staying sane in uh, a post-COVID-19 world? Well, I mean, if I'm going to be honest, my, my job hasn't changed all that much over the last 10 months. I mean, I've, I'm working out of home. I was already working out of home, so that's been fine. I guess the only difference is that uh, my wife is working out of home more often, so there's mm-hmm. more people around the house. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, I didn't. I only traveled to two games this year, I guess, is, is one difference. I went to uh, uh, the SME Cincinnati game and then the, the, the quote-unquote Rose Bowl because they were, they were both here in Dallas where I am. But, uh, yeah, that was all the travel I did. I, other than that, you know, I didn't get out to see teams, didn't get out to see spring practice or media days or games or anything. So it was, it was a lot more sitting at home. Right. I mean, it's funny. I miss being places, but I don't miss the actual travel at all. Like with the, um, you know, just kind of the the hectic nature of airports and having to rent cars and then, you know, sing along to the radio for five, six hours like that part. I I don't really miss too much, honestly. See, I actually do because like I said, I work out of home every day. So whenever I'm out of the house and have something to do out of the house, I'm good with whatever it is. Airports, I love them. I, I know most people don't. I know most people don't like planes or driving five hours in a rental car or whatever, but uh, I enjoy it because it's just it's different from my day-to-day. So uh, believe it or not, I do miss that. Different strokes for different folks, I guess. Um, <laughs> Eric, <laughs> Eric, what have you been doing the last week or so? Um, you know, as as the native and resident of Tampa, Florida, I've just been enjoying the fruits of our sports, uh, you know, kind of the the manna that has fallen from heaven in terms of uh, sports in the Tampa Bay area. But outside of that, um, I, I will say this uh, to kind of put a, a cap on the on the travel conversation. I, too, am like Chris. You know, I don't mind traveling. I always enjoy, you know, whether it's covering FIU and get a chance to travel for those games. I, I also don't mind airports, although. Like I mentioned in our previous conversation with Evan Dudley, you know, getting in and out of the Lynchburg airport via Charlotte, I can live without that. But outside of that, I don't mind the travel, Joe. So you're uh, for for the rare time on this podcast, you're outnumbered, sir. <laughs> I, you know, I think I'm seeing a common denominator here. You two are both skinny i'm not so like being <laughs> being in a big tube in the sky with you know half an inch between me and some random stranger is not my idea of a good time fair point <laughs> all right eric uh, you want to kick it off with uh, some questions for our guest here yeah i'm sure our, our dms are lighting up as we speak as this want to end this bad comedy hour so chris i'll uh, i'll send it to you with this one. um Got a, a, actually a, a question from Twitter here. A shout out to uh, Jensen Jennings on Twitter when we uh, mentioned we're having you on. I thought this was a pretty good question. He, he wants, uh, wants to know, what steps does CUSA need to take in order to be able to compete, his words, with the other G5 conferences consistently? The awful, bowl, awful showing in bowl season and out-of-conference games show how far behind CUSA is. I would beg to differ a little bit, but he's not asking me. He's asking you. So I'll let you have at it with that question. 
Well, it's kind of something I, I thought about the MAC coming into the season, and that is really a conference is judged on its top teams. And if it has teams at the top of the conference that are competing in, in notable games, you know, last year, nobody from the MAC won more than eight games, more than eight games. I think only one team won more than seven. They were all in like that five to seven win range. And so nobody stands out. And then this year, Buffalo jumps out to a six and oh start and Jared Patterson's putting up huge numbers. Ball state goes six and one beats Buffalo in the Mac championship game, which was an interesting game. Then beats San Jose state finished with their first top 25 ranking ever. So the Mac had some teams emerge at the top. And I think that's what Conference USA needs. It's just, it needs to have some heavy hitters, whoever those are. I, I mean, they, they should be the teams with the history behind them. It should be a Marshall. It should be a Southern Miss, uh, teams like that. And, you know, we saw that with Marshall this last year. They start 7-0 and and they reach the top 20, I think they were. And, and that's how you carry a banner for a conference. And then they fell apart at the end and nobody from Conference USA stood out at, at the end of the, at, the, at the end of the day. So more than anything for a conference, you're, you're defined by your best teams and conference USA needs a couple of teams to really stand out like FAU did under Lane Kiffin, you know, a couple of times there. Chris, I, I want to, you know, kind of just throw this at you really quickly. Cause this has kind of been my, you know, the way I've kind of taken in that question. I, I do feel a lot of it is is somewhat reactionary just based on, you know, the poor showing Joe and I talked about this on our previous podcast, we have three of the bowl games this year, uh, 20, 25 point blowouts, but want to ask you this, you know, cause this is kind of my POV on it. Uh, I'm a graduate of UCF. So I'm very familiar with the American and obviously they've kind of appeared more or less to be like the cream of the crop in terms of G5 football with UCF success and then Memphis and so on and so forth. Right. And then you look at the Sun Belt and I had a chance to cover the uh, the Cure Bowl this year. And of course, what a barn burner of a game that was, you know, when you have uh, a team there in Liberty and then of course in, in Coastal Carolina, but in, and of course, Liberty is independent team, but Coastal from the, from the Sun Belt. I feel that when you have the American who kind of has an identity, they've taken on that power six mantra. Right. And then you have the Sun Belt, which has really been able to build an, identi- an identity, excuse me, as quote unquote, the fun belt, you know, always games that more or less seem to be pretty exciting. My POV is not necessarily that Conference USA is clear cut behind, say, the Sun Belt or the Mac, but just that they need a, somewhat of an identity. Uh, what would you, you say to that? Yeah, 100%. It, it, it just it doesn't have an identity because it spans over three time zones. It spans from Norfolk to El Paso, and you've got a lot of teams in there that don't have a lot of history with each other you know when when the when the conference got raided a decade ago you know a bunch of those teams went to the american and kind of continued that history with each other you had teams kind of all cobbled together in conference usa the sunbelt has figured it out because instead of going for you know north texas and 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 fiu and these kind these teams that were in media markets so to speak the sunbelt went and got teams that win they went and got Appalachian State. They went and got Georgia Southern. They went and got Coastal Carolina. And they, and they kicked out Idaho and New Mexico State. And that's paid off. You know, they have an identity that is teams in that southeast region, a number of teams that have a, a history of success. And Conference USA is just kind of a lot of different teams cobbled together. And, and you know, I wrote a story in November about kind of the downfall of Southern Miss and, and you know, 
they got left out of realignment. You know, they were one of the few teams that didn't get picked up to go to the American and stuff like that. And they've kind of had trouble figuring out rivalries and stuff like that. And it, it, that's the kind of stuff that has to build over time. You've obviously got the FAU, FIU rivalry, but, but there's not a lot that you've got Marshall, Western Kentucky, but there's not a lot of natural connections between everybody yet. And that's kind of been an issue But the basketball part of the league has obviously moved into pods in different ways to kind of get around COVID, but that also helps with that familiarity. And the conference USA just still doesn't have that in football. So we got a question from an FAU fan on Twitter and uh, he was clearly taking a jab at FIU, but I think he asked an interesting question. I'm going to, the question he asked was who had a better 2020 season, ODU or FIU, but I'm going to kind of, you know, mold that question to something we can work with here. Uh, Cause I think he raises an interesting point, Chris, um, those of us who are around the FIU program, you know, Butch Davis, whether it was post games or during the week, talk a lot about just how his team was decimated by injuries. And of course, the COVID situation. And, and last time we talked to him, which was dur- during the, the early signing day period or post the early signing day period, I should say, he mentioned that hindsight being 2020, he almost wishes that, you know, conference USA had an opportunity to start a little bit later. So that teams could have, you know, had more adjustments to get um, kind of had more time to get adjusted because of COVID. But the question I want to kind of mold that into is this, when you look at ODU who chose to opt out and then you look at FIU, which took a, you know, really a huge hit, especially coming from, you know, the, the success of the win over Miami and the Bahamas Bowl and now to 0 and 5. What do you kind of make of that, right? I mean, if would you rather be if 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 you're, you know, in in at the opportunity to be in either Ricky Ronnie's shoes or Butch Davis' shoes, would you rather be the ODU that sat out or, you know, do you maybe benefit from even getting a chance to play the five games, albeit all losses? Yeah, I, I talked to Ricky Ronnie last month for a story of, of basically, you know, what did Old Dominion do in the in the fall how did it go and they felt that they gained more by having a fall camp uh essentially spring ball in the fall instead of playing a season and part of the reason was because they have a new coach so they had to find time to work on the field with the new systems and the new players and everything but the other part of it was yeah how, how many games would they have gotten in conference USA had more postponements and cancellations than anybody else I mean, they had to figure out the whole tie-breaking situation with UAB just to figure out if they'd be eligible for the championship game. So, you know, I think there's a case to be made for a team like Old Dominion that that it was worth it, you know. Uh, For a team like FIU, given all the injuries they had and and some of the opt-outs and stuff before the season, and and then games getting canceled left and right, I I, I guess, you know, Butch would know his team better than me. And and if if that's how he feels – about the season, then he's probably right. And, you know, that's how Old Dominion felt about the fall. So I could certainly see why he would feel that way because nobody knew what to expect when, when, when they started going in. And for some schools that only played three or four games, you know, maybe it wasn't worth it. Just want to see, kind of get your big picture approach uh, as far as the the Conference USA head coaching hires. I mean, I, I will say quite frankly that I mean, while I, there was always that talk of Marshall fans being frustrated at the lack of being able to get over that hump, I maybe I was naive. I was surprised to see Doc Holliday's contract not renewed, and then of course, you know, you got the uh, uh, Southern Miss and Will Hall. Just kind of want to get your thoughts on the Conference USA coaching hires. You mean like in this cycle? In this cycle, yes. I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah. So you know. Um... Charles, the, the Marshall one was, it was, it was surprising and it wasn't because I mean, the fact that 
Doc Holliday was already in the last year of his contract, which, like, never happens. In FBS football, you, you kind of saw the writing on the wall, I think. Um, still, you know, he, he won. He nearly won Conference USA this year. I know they hadn't won since, I think, 2014. But he largely had had success there. Maybe it wasn't enough success, and that's why they make a change in it. I know the president was heavily involved in that. But I think the hire of Charles Huff from Alabama is a really good hire. You know, Marshall has been the top recruiting team at Conference USA for quite a while until these last couple of years they kind of fell off a little bit. And then Huff will definitely up the talent level there. <clears throat> He's one of the top recruiters in the country. Um, worked at a lot of different places. So I, I expect the talent level to go up. I was surprised he didn't retain any of the defensive assistants, you know, considering they had a really strong defense, ended up beating the country in, in scoring D. So that was surprising, but he did retain Tim Cranzy, the OC, which I think works because, you know, Grant Wells looks like a you know, promising young quarterback, so there'll be some familiarity there. So I, I graded that higher as a, as a B plus, And then – Will Hall at Southern Miss, I gave that an A minus. You know, they they needed somebody who understood Mississippi, and that's exactly what you get in Will Hall, whose dad was a legendary high school coach. He's got plenty of head coaching experience. He won at West Georgia. He won at West Alabama, and already, I mean, once he took the job there, I think he flipped a couple of guys from Tulane, a couple of recruits. So, you know, I I, I, gave, I gave that an, an A minus. Now that doesn't mean these guys are these coaches are gonna you know, win 10 games and have great, you know, great years, you know, it's, it's kind of a crapshoot in terms of coaches that work or don't work. But in terms of what these schools wanted from a new head coach, I think both got what they were looking for. Two more for you, Chris, and I'll pass it over to Joe for his line of questioning. Uh, just want to ask you your thoughts on Western Kentucky, specifically, you know, them seemingly going all in on like the Houston Baptist approach. Of course, they were able to pick up the uh, the transfer quarterback there in Bailey Zappi, but also bringing his offensive coordinator in Zach Kitley. So, just uh, any thoughts you may have on them being all in in terms of, you know, hey, if you're gonna if you're gonna bring in a transfer quarterback, why not bring in a, a, his offensive coordinator and a couple of receivers? Yeah, I mean, I think it's a great idea. I, you know, a lot of coaches would try to take bits and pieces and hope to get the whole thing. Western Kentucky is just taking the whole thing. <laughs> I mean, they, they identify, like, again, they identified what they want to do and they went out and got the people who do it. So, you know, is it going to work? I don't know, maybe, but, you know, credit for credit to, to Tyson Helton for making some bold moves and seeing what he thinks is some talent out there on the market and just going and getting it, you know, they needed a quarterback anyway. So, uh, yeah, I think it's a real smart move and I'm excited to see how it works out. Last one, here, last one here for you, Chris, and I'll make a two part question. We'd like to have a little bit of fun with our guests. So not necessarily a football related question, but, uh, want to ask you this, uh, a, and I'm putting you on the spot here. So hopefully we don't offend any, any of our listeners from uh, the CUSA landscape, but favorite CUSA city that you've been to. And then the second part of that question, uh, as someone who, because of COVID, ate five turkey sandwiches, boxed turkey sandwiches that were uh, allowed to media, uh, what was your, your uh, most notable or most memorable press box meal that you've had? Let's see, favorite Conference USA city. I haven't been to everyone, so I, ha I have to say that. Um, okay. I, and, I live, and I live like 30 minutes away from Denton, so I, I'm very familiar there. I, like, I haven't gone to Hattiesburg. I really wanted to go to Hattiesburg really wanted to go to El Paso. So I haven't been everywhere. But I really liked when I when I visited FIU 
in uh, spring of 2019. I went down and talked to Butch and kind of saw everything that they had been building there. And it was, it was really cool because it's such an international school and you know how, you know, like uh, the number of Hispanic students and, and all sorts of stuff is a really interesting school. There, there are not many schools like that in, in FBS and that was interesting. And then the other part is it's in Miami, you know, I, I, I hadn't been to Miami in forever when I went down. So I, I went down there, walked around South beach and everything like that. So I had a good time. I guess I would have to say FIU in that sense, but, you know, it's Miami, so it's kind of, it's kind of a, a, kind of an easy choice there. And then, what was the other one about the press box food? Yeah, best press box meal you've had. Best press box meal. Uh, I don't know if one stands out for the specific meal, sure. but the but AT and T Stadium is always first class and always has a ton of food out there. I mean, it's a Dallas Cowboys place. They they do everything first class. So anytime I'm covering a non-conference game there or a Cotton Bowl or something like that, they always have really good stuff. And, and even for even for the um, the Rose Bowl this year, I mean, it was boxed meals, but it was it was um, it, it was a mix of uh, uh, brisket and uh, cookies and just stuff that was really good. So I gotta say, AT&T Stadium. But again, I don't know if that's a cop out because that's a pro stadium. <laughs> but uh, they, they've always been pretty good. You know, whenever I go to SMU, they always have Rudy's Barbecue Cater it, which is always a great choice uh, uh, here in Dallas. So uh, I know that's not Conference USA, but um, I'm just thinking of uh, press box food that stands out. No, Joe, before you go real quick, they had, uh, I think it was CUSA Media Days, the last one we had, which, of course, 2020 was canceled. Uh, I, I think they had Rudy's Barbecue. So I can attest. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was the real deal, Joe. I'll let you uh, pick it up from there. <laughs> yeah, no, Rudy's is, is fantastic. Uh, staying within the state of Texas, Chris, I, you know, I don't think there's really any CUSA football program right now that you could say is in, like, fantastic shape, but uh, UTEP has kind of been at the bottom of that barrel for a while, but this year um, definitely had some positive things with a 3-5 uh, and five record to look back on. Looked really competitive for, you know, 90% of their games this year. Um, do you feel like they can sustain that momentum heading into a new season? Yeah, it's it's interesting. In, in in some ways, it was a step forward. In other ways, you know, they they went winless in conference play. I don't know if one or two of those wins this year was an FCS opponent, but shoot, they were, you know, losing to FCS opponents before. So it it was a minor mm-hmm. step forward. But I think when you see what Dana Dimble did in in making coordinator changes, I, I think that tells me that he knows he has to have a big season next year and. He brings in Dave Warner, former offensive coordinator at at, uh, at Michigan State. Brings in Bradley Dale Pivido, the former SEC coach guy who's been everywhere. So, so he he thinks they need to to make a step. Oh yeah, yeah. I pulled up the schedule. That's right. They beat Stephen F. Austin and Abilene Christian, two FCS teams, and then they beat winless UL Monroe. So, n- no notable wins there. You know, I I thought I remember it was. After 2018, going into 2019, I thought I, I expected them to take a step forward because they, they had been competitive in some games. They had done with a ton of injuries. I think it might have been Dana's first season. And I really thought they would take a step forward the next year. And it, it's been two seasons, and we haven't quite seen it yet. I, this year it's hard to judge. 
three wins, like I said, two FCS games and a winless team. It's also in the middle of COVID, and they had that whole thing about whether or not they could play North Texas and, and, and all the weird stuff that came with that. It, some teams, it's really hard to just make an evaluation of this team. So, mm-hmm. you know, they were a little better, but I think it seems pretty clear that Dana Dimmel knows he needs to have a, 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 a real step forward next year. Yeah, I don't think anybody would really argue that. But when you're uh, really hoping for wins against FCS teams like they were pre-2020, um, you know, I, I think right. we can agree that, yeah, th- those two wins were definitely a step forward. Um, switching gears a little bit, uh, obviously expectations for Willie Taggart at FAU were bound to be high. They still are. Um, do you feel like he's on track to uh, meet those expectations, and if he does, do you think he'll make a, a jump to another program soon? Well, I mean, I guess it depends what the expectations were, and you know, taking over for Lane Kiffin, I think those expectations are winning Conference USA, and mm-hmm. um, they didn't do that this year. They, you know, that that loss to Southern Miss at the end of the season, not just not a good loss. That was, that was a Southern Miss team on its third head coach of the year. Um, they, they did not get enough out of that offense that they want to. They need to figure out, you know, they had the Chris Robertson quarterback situation with him leaving and all that stuff. You know, Willie needs a quarterback. That was his downfall in Florida State. Um, that's where everything kind of starts. So, you know, you go five and four in that first year, not great. Made some coaching changes. But at the same time, again, it was kind of a weird year for everybody. We'll get a, we'll get a better sense this year, I think, for what he's going for. If he has big success, you know, in a year or two, could he leave for a bigger job? Yeah, I, I think he certainly could, um, but uh, I, I don't. I, I think year one was not a huge success. I think that's a fair evaluation based on everything that's going on. It, it was really hard to kind of get in any sort of rhythm with the amount of uh, you know delays and and whatnot that they ended up having when it came to just keeping their schedule on track. Um, but yeah. You hit on it a little bit earlier, Chris. Uh, the the kind of best bet for moving CUSA forward in terms of national profile is just getting you know its best team in a position to to succeed on you know the national scale. Uh, who do you think is CUSA's best bet to do that next season and maybe even sneak their way into a CU, uh, a New Year's Six bowl game? I mean, I think it's. It's weird. Cause, I mean, UAB, I guess I got to go with UAB. I mean, they won the conference, and they're bringing a ton back. You know, they're losing Austin Watkins and some other players, but still largely the whole team is back. The other one I would have to say is Marshall. I mean, like I said, they started 7-0 and and reached the top 20. I don't know what the heck happened this year, but absolutely falling off a cliff mm-hmm. in the final three games was, was really came out of nowhere. But Marshall will have a lot of players back. They'll have Grant Wells back at quarterback if, if that defense can can stay strong. I, I think Marshall and, and UAB are probably the top teams you're looking at. Certainly makes sense. I was definitely scratching my head at the uh, late season collapse by Marshall myself. Um, yeah. But Chris, you know, I'm sure you're tired of answering COVID-19 related questions at this point, but um, now that the season's over, everybody kind of had a chance to uh, deal with all the inconveniences and, you know, the new 
new way of thinking just when it comes to player safety and, and all that. What lessons from the pandemic should G5 programs take with them going forward into a new year? You know, I, I think part of it is recruiting. You know, we've been in a dead period for a very, very long time here. And, you know, I, I've seen a big step up from a lot of G5 schools in terms of how they're selling their program, whether it's through graphics on social media, whether it's through videos, different things that made much more of an impact this year because you couldn't take kids to campus, you couldn't go visit them. So I think I'm curious to see how that stuff continues moving forward. Um, you know, the other stuff is, you know, I, I guess just player health and safety in general. I mean, presumably, hopefully we get past COVID at some point and not like you need to wear masks the whole time, but, you know, keeping everybody just healthy and, and, and safe in other ways moving forward, uh, I, I think is good. Certain teams tried different things in terms of how to get around COVID, whether it was fewer players, shorter, uh, smaller rosters at, at practice, different kinds of staffers. I don't, I'm not sure what type of things are going to carry over specifically from teams, but stuff like virtual meetings, you know, virtual uh, team meetings, virtual recruiting. I'm curious to see how that stuff, continues moving forward that's an interesting point you know i i think it's safe to say there's a lot of you know kind of older school coaches who obviously know a thing or two about winning football games but when it comes to some of the new wrinkles of recruiting like you mentioned with uh all the digital elements that are getting folded into it do you feel like this presents an opportunity for programs with younger more tech savvy coaches to kind of leapfrog their competition yeah i i mean i think about San Jose State uh, in, in the Mountain West, their digital team was just hilarious all season long, producing great short videos, great graphics. And, and obviously they ended up having a winning season, so more people saw it. But, like, you know, the video of the team in the locker room singing Lean on Me, you know, the, 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 the videos about all the people who didn't think San Jose State would beat Boise State. And they really jumped out to me as, like, a team that was making an impact breaking through and getting a lot of attention like on social media through their digital teams. And that's, especially without fans in the crowd, you know, that's, that was a way teams could find ways to stand out was through, you know, your, your digital teams that, that have a lot more duties when there aren't fans and when you can't, uh, you can't bring recruits. Give social media managers a raise for sure. Been saying it for years. <laughs> Used to be one. <laughs> it's uh, it's a tough job, but uh, they've they've all obviously been working hard the last eight nine months. Uh, yeah. Chris, really can't thank you enough for your time today. As we uh, as we start wrapping up here, uh, if you want to follow uh, Chris on Twitter, obviously encourage you to do so. Uh, he is um, his his Twitter will be linked in the description of this episode, and uh, of course check him out on the Athletic if you're not already subscribe to them um if you want to follow eric and myself on twitter it's at eric c henry underscore at j-o-e-h-i-o underscore and then of course at underdog dynasties the uh, site's main account if you want to keep up to date on all the content we're putting out throughout the off season and uh, on the next episode the beat writer series is going to continue so come on back um but thank you so much for listening everybody subscribe on apple podcast if you haven't already and we'll talk to you very soon happy football watching